Well, welcome to the Business of Life, where Jan and I speak across the country, from the nation, from cities and towns and hotel rooms and studios and pretty much our bedrooms, our living rooms and everywhere we can possibly be. Hey, Jan. And I seriously do not have pants on. <laughs> I seriously do. Yeah, I don't have pants on today, so um, but that's good. I do have um, pajamas. Yes. Uh, they're shorts, so that's a good thing. You know, it really is amazing that, you know, we can have these conversations. And I have to say this before we even get started, is I always miss talking to you, Arlene. Aw, I miss talking to you too. This has been really great therapy for me. Um, I think this is our, and Adam can uh, correct us, I think this is our 35th show? 37th, Jan, he just 37th show. Yeah. So folks, we've been coming to you and doing this for um, 37 weeks. And it has just been, on a personal note, one of the greatest, funnest, most interesting, I know funnest isn't a word, um, <laughs> adventures of, of my career and my life. It's just something I really look forward to. And um, yeah, I always leave our conversations thinking about things and being interested in topics that I really didn't know much about, uh, reconsidering my points of view, um, how I navigate the internet, for instance, like there's just so many things that have prompted me to adjust my thinking. And, and we hope that that's what we're doing for you as well. Yeah, Jan, you're so right. You know, I, people always say to me, oh, how do you, you know, do you guys, do you run out of things to say? And I, I always laugh and I go, no, we always have something to talk about. And, and I say the exact same thing, which is the, the biggest blessing I've had out of this is because through my life, I've never had one friend that I just spoke to regularly, you know, every week, no not matter at length. what, not at length. Like, you'd, yeah, you'd speak to them, but not kind of had the conversations we're having. And it's really been exactly as you said, it's been a blessing. And, and I've had a lot of feedback from people who say, you know, I feel like I'm sitting there with you having a conversation with friends. And that makes me feel so good because we don't do enough of this in a in an age where we're disconnected more than we're connected where our conversations are all shorthanded through text and social media and you know quick little quips that don't really have meaning behind them and and so the ability to talk to a friend is becoming something that I think we need to cherish and and talk about more and and do more of and so I'm really grateful Jan you've you when I listen back to our podcast and and I do because I always think to myself did we really talk about that <laughs> And you want to and you want to figure out how to make them better too. Yeah. So I listen to them as well. Yeah, you listen to them and you go, "Gee, we really." First of all, I think you sound so intelligent. Um, oh, I'm not. Yeah, Grade no, one was the best four years really of my life. In, you sound really intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> no, you do, and it's and you make me uh, think as well. Um, I. I say um a lot. I'm going to have to correct that because I've noticed that I say um too much. And I often will repeat myself on the same word. So as I'm thinking, I tend to repeat the word that I last was on. So these are the things that I'm learning as we are going through the podcast world and understanding kind of how we sound and what we're talking about and making sure our points are clear, but not losing sight of the intention of this podcast, which is really to just have a discussion with a good friend about what matters in life. And so, 
Yes, that's what we're doing. And I'm going to stop saying um quite as much. But now I've got you all listening. You're going to write it down. You're going to say, oh, she said it 25 times. Maybe it'll become a drinking game. Maybe. Every time I say um, <laughs> have a beer. <laughs> Which, you know, could be cheap in Ontario, apparently, you know, because that's what we care about here in Ontario. But in Alberta, um, wait, I want to talk to you, Jan, about something. Okay. Listen, I was, uh, was on my Twitter feed this morning. And I was reading that uh, Mike Morrison, who has Mike's bloggity blog, who is yes, who's I, just a really I, great I follow guy. him as well. Yeah, great guy. He posted that the UCP party had stopped the group of people that were going to be just doing a study on whether or not conversion therapy for LGBTQ two communities should be um, banned. And I, I, two things happened when I read it. One, I didn't even know it was still going. I, I had no idea it wasn't like banned across the country. I was so surprised that it isn't. Uh, I think it is in Ontario and potentially Quebec. I don't remember the other province. But I just couldn't believe that we still have not banned something that is so horrific and impacts people's lives in such a hor- horrible, horrible way, which is basically telling them what their sexuality should be. Could you imagine taking a straight person and saying, we're going to, you know, put you in conversion therapy and make you gay? What would they like, you know, like, because, you know, because you just need conversion therapy for that. It's just such a ridiculous notion that you can change people's sexuality through some sort of horrible process that is inappropriate. So there's a petition going around that I hope everyone is signing on change.org to force the government in Alberta to continue this study and I would say to go past continuing a study but to enforce a uh, regulation a law a whatever they have to pass I guess a law that bans it from the province what do you think absolutely there is there's no question in my mind it's barbaric it's it, it that that way of thinking is is so in antiquity um you know, and we've we've touched on sexuality on this show many, many, many times. You are innately who you are from the time you kind of hit the ground running on this planet. That all sexuality is normal. I mean, yes, I will have people out there going, oh my gosh, you know, pedophilia and, you know, rape and all those things. Of course, use your common sense. I'm talking about adult people that are having consensual physical interactions with each other are all normal. There's no normal. And to actually think that you can take a young woman or a young man um, under the guise, usually it's religious, Arlene. Some of these conversion therapies are based on, uh, you know, religion of some faction. And um, it just is, it's it's not going to do anything. It's, It's not, you cannot change a zebra into a lion. It just is not, it's not ethical, it's not, it's not humane, it's not, it, it is on every level, and I, I just abhor it. It's just a horrible thing to do to a human being. It is. I, I There was another um, tweet that I had read on, see, I just said, uh, ugh. there was another tweet on Twitter that I read. I don't recall who I, who's Uh, feed it was in but it was something like I don't know why God I don't understand why God is always telling those people in the world to do the worst things in the world (laughs) yeah that's exactly right why is it always a religious somehow God has told me to be a horrible person and and I don't you know I'm sorry for all of those religious people out there I am I do believe in in 
in a, um, a higher being. I do believe in an afterlife. That's my right to have those beliefs. You can have your choice to believe whatever yep. you want to believe. This is, we all can believe what we want to believe and we all are given our own lives. And this moral, this moral, I don't know, like standard of, of, that somebody falsely has created and and then they hold the bible up they hold the bible up as the reason and the bible actually goes the exact opposite in terms of talking about loving one another forgiving one another you know letting you know i mean yes you can point to anything in the bible that has got um you know they can interpret it any way they want yes they can it can be interpreted like the quran the bible the the book of mormon all of these religious tomes that are out there that everybody thinks are the end all and be all and i don't believe in a god that is going to um, tell people to do to kill people to maim people to tell people that their sexuality is wrong i don't believe that you know for all the people that are out there listening for for our listeners that are struggling with sexuality or have questions about sexuality or are being um are in a position where they're fearful or they're you know they're anxious or wondering what you know the future holds i will tell you now Remain steadfast and know that the passage of time will make things better. And I know it seems like an impossibility when you're standing in the mire and you're standing on the edge of a cliff wondering, you know, how you're going to get through, you know, the the, the following days, the following weeks. It will get better because you're going to get older. You're going to get stronger. You're going to be more gentle with yourself. You know, even when people are being cruel to you, when they are being intolerant, when they're not being understanding and merciful towards you or open about, you know, who you are, just don't do that to yourself. I would caution you to just try and be kind, even if you have that one friend that you can lean on. Um... Do that and try to try to weather people's ignorance and, you know, and try and find forgiveness. It's the only way, you know, forward. But just like I said, please know that this is going to it's going to get better because you're going to find your feet and you're going to realize that you are so normal. You're so exactly who you should be. And don't ever, ever. Don't ever change and don't ever think that you need to change because somebody else doesn't like the way you're living your life. So that's just my words to you. Those are really, really amazing words, Jan, and they're so true. Be who you are, whatever your race, religion, sexuality, um, anything like gender. I don't care how you define yourself or label yourself. I only care that you be yourself. How uninteresting would the world be if we all just came out as these white cubes that, you know, had no, I I just, diversity is, is what makes this, our time on earth so glorious. I always liken it to eating the same sandwich every day, Arlene. (laughs) Here's your tomato and, you know, lettuce sandwich. Enjoy. That's, that's what, you know, life would serve you every day. And that's not what makes a good life. I mean, it's just, it, it just defies logic. On that strain, this is interesting, Arlene, and I know this is kind of something that people do talk about quite a bit. Um, if you could have a conversation with your younger self, and I know this is probably an answer that could take up 
another 37 weeks of podcasts. Is there any bit of advice you would offer up to a 16-year-old Arlene Dickinson? Oh, you know, I get that question all the time. I know, but I love and it. I, and I, really? I, I'm being selfish here because I want to kind of know what your thoughts are. Just because you, I mean, you kind of opened a door to, you know, we're asking these young people that are going through sexuality issues to kind of look to the future and, and tell them that it's going to it's going to ease up and it's going to be better and they're going to own themselves. But it's hard to realize that when you're in the middle of it. Yeah, I mean, oh boy. What would I tell my 16-year-old self? I, always, I, I have an answer that I give all the time, which is that I would um, tell myself to dream bigger. And I think I've mentioned that to you before, where I feel that I regulated my dreams and didn't... And can, How, I would always expand on that, regulated your dreams, because I, I want to... Sorry. I would constantly tell myself that who did I think I was to dream as big and to, to be as bold as to be able to accomplish, you know, great things. Like, I always knew I would do... Um, you know, that I, I could do what I wanted to do. I always, I was, I was raised to believe that, you know, anything was possible. I was not raised to, to believe I couldn't try things, but I had a lot of insecurities as a, as a young woman, as a young girl. And so I always thought that women, you know, that maybe I could only do something. So as I got older, I was, because I lived in that time, I lived in that time where there weren't a lot of women that were leaders or, or building businesses, in my case in particular, there wasn't a lot of uh, people out there like that. And the ones that were out there were were kind of androgynous in that, that they were women that had to almost go into a man's world in order to be accepted in business. And so it was very weird for me because I was, uh, you know, I was a feminine woman, I I liked being female. I enjoyed, you know, that aspect of, you know, my sexuality was uh, was there and all of those things. And so when I saw these, the few women that I did see in business, they they somehow looked and, and sounded more masculine to me. And I don't know if, and I don't mean that in, a, in any way a negative sense, because those women were brave warriors as far as I'm concerned, and they took the chances and they built the past that nobody else could build. And they had to do that by conforming more than, you know, we, we would necessarily have to today. But I, I just didn't know kind of how I could be a real woman and also be a real business leader. And so it was a very, it was a big struggle for me, one that I couldn't articulate until I was older. I didn't really understand it when I was younger. So I would tell myself at 16 that I should dream as big as I possibly could dream, that I should believe that I could accomplish anything that I wanted to, that there was no limit to the scale and size of what I could build, um, and that I should not regulate myself or self-regulate, sorry, um, the, the measure of what success could look like. That's the business side of me. And then the personal side of me would tell me to, to, I guess to love myself more, Jen. I, I really, yeah. I, I, to really just accept who I am more. It's funny, I was, and I'm going to stop talking in a minute, but I wanted to fully answer your question. Yes, no. I'm it's funny, going. it's only now at 62 that I really think, you know what, my body's pretty nice. I've got a good body. I'm okay. You know, like I'm not skinny and, and, and I don't have big boobs and I don't have, you know, like, you know, the flattest stomach in the world and I, I've got some cellulite and I, I've got all of that 
going on in my life, in my body. <laughs> but I actually really am grateful for it. And I, for the first time I could tell you in my life, I look in the mirror and I go, huh, that's okay, Arlene. You know what? That's good. That body carries you through your life. That body yes, does things absolutely. for you. It it is it has served you well. And and I think mm, at sixteen, uh, no, did not think that. But oh. and, and the irony, don't you think the irony is at sixteen, you were probably like a pinup girl. You you probably <laughs> I weighed a hundred. Your body pounds. was you're probably your body was probably what uh, young girls that you would aspire to be um you know no cellulite and toned and even skin tone and slim and perky boobs and you know all those things but we don't see ourselves do we no we don't see ourselves because we're so busy being inundated with um we're i'm again have another drink everybody uh we're so busy being inundated with what what perfect should look like and and marketing and magazines and advertising and hollywood has created that this false sense of idealism you know what a, what a, what is a good body well a good body is anybody a good body, a good is, body is anybody a that is body. healthy and carries you through your day and supports your your efforts and and um and houses your soul and mm-hmm. that's really what a body is for it is to house your who you really are, which is what's inside. And we get so caught up. It's like when we drive through fancy neighborhoods like Mount Royal in Calgary or Forest Hills in Toronto, and we look at these beautiful homes and we go, oh, look at that home. Look at the manicured garden. Look at how perfect it is. Look at the cars that are outside of it. Oh my gosh, it's absolutely stunning. And that what you don't know is inside those homes, are some really unhappy people sometimes and people that aren't living a good life and people that are finding all of that wealth to be hollow because they don't have what they want. And that is the same, I think I would say that's very much like people's bodies. We look at what they are on the outside and we judge ourselves inside by what we see on other people's outside. So, you know, we think, oh, we're not good enough, but we're, we're potentially, you know, nicer people, kinder people, more generous, grateful people, um, simply because somebody's got a great figure or is, you know, any of those things that makes a body beautiful through genetics doesn't mean that they are happy. And no, not at I'm, all. I'm going on a bit but of a rant. that's the perception, you know, people are curating these stories of their lives on social media that look, you know, fantastical. And uh, they are they are creations of, you know the person that is is running their accounts and and I do remind young women especially that you know some of these accounts they're taking hundreds and hundreds of pictures to capture one that you know looks perfect um I'm I'm with you on all of those things Arlene my body has been around the block a few times I'm right behind you I'm 57 I've never felt more proud of my body. I've never felt more um, secure. I've never felt more humbled and, and, and grateful for what I have put my body through, for one thing. My 20s and 30s especially, with the drinking, the way I ate, not exercising, the lack of respect I showed for my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I just, I, I look in the mirror, you know, I pop out of the shower 
you know, after coming from the gym to do my very best effort to, you know, get some exercise and keep moving. And I mean, I'm crappy at yoga and (laughs) nothing really bends the way I think it should. And, but I'm trying and I have such a deep appreciation for what I have put my body through and how it has risen to the occasion for me and that it's just keeping going and that I can do anything. I can create things and think and, you know, my my hands can play a guitar, or, you know, write down words or, or hug a friend. I mean, uh, th- that all seems like <laughs> silly things, but I am grateful for what my body can do and not what it can't do. And I'm much more gracious and kind about my appearance now than I ever, ever have been in my life. And I think people see that. What would you tell your 16-year-old self? Oh, immediately I just think, don't give yourself away. Don't give yourself away. Don't, don't try so hard to have people like you. <laughs> I know that sounds, but, but that's what I would tell myself. I think especially when I had, I had so many regretful, kind of promiscuous years as a young 20-year-old woman, the way that I made my way through. I was in, I was in bar bands in interior British Columbia and the Northwest Territories, and I was kind of pursuing this this idea of, you know, being a singer-songwriter. And, I mean, I was doing it all the wrong ways, but having looked back now, all those experiences were so vital to who I am now. So it's a conflict for me, but I would... I would tell myself more than anything to have respect for my myself, for my for my body, and to not be as promiscuous. I think that was one of my biggest stumbling blocks. And you know, I've had this conversation with girlfriends many times. You know, sitting around a kitchen table, um, and we all kind of have these stories where we just wanted this boy to like us so much that. You know, you know, you sleep with him and then never hear from him again. But I think my all my stuff was tangled up with too much drinking too. So I, I just became so I had no inhibitions and I just I went places that that I shouldn't have gone. And I just had and those were the hardest things to recover from is because I felt so guilty, you know, for weeks on end. And then I was worried about being pregnant. And uh, you know, I I did this for like three or four or five or six years. And I never understood why until I got much older. And it was that search for self. It was that search for, you know, finding something that resonated with me or was somehow going to be different than it was, that the experience was going to be different from it was. But I... It is just becoming a person. I guess that's what it is. And I'm much easier on myself now. When I look back, I I look at someone who was just so young and trying to figure out who she was. And I know who I am now. I'm... And I maybe I maybe I need to be grateful for those experiences, Arlene. It's hard to know you know, what you can do without, maybe you can't do without any of it. Maybe that's the road that I walked. Maybe every single one of those experiences was vital to me becoming who I am. So maybe the other message to my young self would be steady on. These experiences aren't going to last forever. 
They're going to be things that you can put into your arsenal as you move forward. It's going to make you a great business person. It's going to make you resilient. It's going to make you appreciate and love your friends more than you ever thought possible. It's going to make you love yourself in a way that you never thought possible. So I think, I think just knowing that the passage of time will, will be something that will be important and that you can see the value in all your mistakes. Maybe that's it. Yeah, and I we've talked about this before, but I think the notion of regrets is one where you look back on all of those things that you did and say, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. I would have been a, you know, whatever. And if I hadn't done those things, but I am with you, Jan, like I think all of, I think we are greater than the sum of our experiences. In other words, every single experience that we have in life, the, the things that we go through where we try things and fail. And I mean, honestly, failure is key to success. If you don't fail, you will never succeed. And so as you learn, like life is that life is sometimes just having those experiences and and getting through them. I spoke this week, I had the good fortune to speak to a man who had come to Canada from Africa when he was young and had come from literally poverty and had lived in a car and had gone through homelessness and, you know, his parents splitting up and had gone through all of these challenges as a youth and um, had washed dishes and worked in restaurants and done whatever he could, had had to drop out of school because he couldn't afford to pay for school. Everything you can imagine was knocked up against this young boy then, you know, like pushback after pushback, failure after failure, impossible hills to climb after impossible hills to climb. And the reason I was talking to him this week is that he is now the CEO of one of the of a multi-billion dollar company in Canada. And when he told me my his story, all I could think about is how utterly amazing the human spirit is, how those experiences, how he draws on those experiences now and does things that are good for his community because he understands and appreciates the things that happened to him as a child. And he doesn't want those things to happen to others, but he gives back to his community because he had the worst experiences as a, as a youth. And so we don't know where these things can take us. I mean, I think I, I've said this many times that our our past shapes us, but it doesn't define us. It doesn't make us something simply because we were something. It makes us, that's part of who we are, but it doesn't define who we can be. And he is a, a real, such a stellar example of exactly that. Yeah, I don't, I, I agree completely, but I just don't think I would have ever been the songwriter that I am without facing adversity, without clamoring over obstacles and without really putting myself through the fire. Um, I think, I mean, I've, I've made a living. I've been writing love songs for 45 years. And I think being in touch with that side of my, my psyche, my emotional self, my, you know, I've obviously, I've been brokenhearted many, many times in my life. I've been the, I've been the person breaking the heart and I've had my heart broken um, I've been on both sides of that fence. And I think without those experiences, without those real raw experiences, I would never have been as filled with empathy as, as I am. And I think you need to have a sense of that in order to be a songwriter. I think you have to go through things. I always tell young songwriters that, you know, I said, eventually you'll stop writing about things that aren't really real. 
you'll start writing about things that really have happened to you and happened in your life. At least you'll start with something real. You know, I'll always, I'll say to, to, to anyone that I'm listening to their demo tapes, I'm just like, did this happen to you? Cause I can usually tell if it has or not. And they're like, no, but it's, it's just, it's a process. Well, you, you make a really good point around how those experiences, I, I guess two things, Jan, your experiences were your experiences, but your talent, your genius is, is, is in being able to storytell those experiences in a way that other people can listen to the words of your songs and hear the, the discussions that you've got about your love life, your breakups, your, your relationships, and relate to them in a way that makes them feel less lonely, less afraid, less on a journey that is impossible to surmount. I mean, those, those songs you wrote, in fact, I, you know, one, one thing we've never done on this show, and it struck me the other day, and I don't know if you'll do this, but I'm hoping you will. And I don't know if you have it. Do you have a favorite song? I I have a few favorite songs. I mean, there's just things that are real markers for me. But yeah, I have I have favorites. Often I'll have like a couple of favorites on each record. Honestly, I I mean I've got 15 records now, and I will I don't listen to them a lot. But once in a while, I will come across a song that's on some kind of playlist on Spotify or a playlist, and that I haven't heard literally for 20 years, and I'm like, oh my god. I would not be able to sing that song on guitar with a gun to my head because I just, I'm, I'm listening to it with such fresh ears. I'm like, wow, that was actually pretty good. And I'm much easier on myself. Probably at the time I'm thinking, I mean, as soon as I made a record, I always think, oh, I can do better than that. But that's just, that's young art. That's, that's artists just trying to find their way. But Unloved is one of my favorites. Good Mother's one of my favorites. Um, Hanging by a Thread's one of my favorites. Uh, I just... I, I I really do like my songs now. Sorry, I didn't hang you by a thread. What was the first one you said? I was good mother. It will always be such a favorite to me, and it makes me laugh too because I remember playing it for my parents, and my dad said, "I'm in that goddamn song too," you know. Jan, would you sing it? Would you sing "Good Mother" a cappella for us? Are you serious? Yeah, I am. Okay, just just FYI, it is seven fifty in the morning on the West Coast. That's okay. <clears throat> I'm nude. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> I'll sing a little bit of it. Let's see how okay. it goes. Let's, okay. let's see how it goes. Let's see how it goes. <clears throat> I've got money in my pocket. I like the color of my hair. I've got a friend who loves me. Got a house. I've got a car, I've got a good mother, and her voice is what keeps me here, feet on ground, heart in hand, facing forward be yourself, I've never wanted anything. No, I, no, I've never wanted anything so bad. How's that? We're, we're all standing up applauding you, Jan. And I'm crying. <laughs> I, uh, well, I, I was on a plane again yesterday, crying about my mother again. I do really good until I get on a plane. 
Um, I have to set up the story. I don't know. I, I hope I haven't talked about it in our 37 podcast, but I was in, in my Monte Carlo, my 1976 Monte Carlo that I'd bought for like 400 bucks. My friend Bob had given me a cassette with a piano riff on it with four chords, four chords. Aren't all songs just with four chords? And I put it in my Monte Carlo. I had just come from the hairdressers. My friend Stephanie, who's still one of my dear friends to this day, had just dyed my hair red. I'd never, I'm, I, ha, I do have blonde hair. Not, not super, super blonde the way I'm wearing it now, but I have blonde hair. She cut bangs and she, she dyed my hair red, which was synonymous with how I looked very early on in my, in my career was, you know, dark, dark red hair. Anyway, I put, put this cassette in my Monte Carlo and um, this, song, this, this music came on, these four chords that were repeating over and over. And I wrote Good Mother, sitting in the Monte Carlo in the back of uh, a, a parking lot uh, just off of 17th Avenue in Calgary. And um, I thought it was the silliest song. I didn't even have a pen. I, I was smoking cigarettes at the time, and I opened the cigarette package to make myself a piece of paper. I flattened it out, and I had some black eyeliner. And I wrote the <laughs> lyric with black eyeliner. Oh, my gosh. On this, on this piece of paper. I've got money in my pocket. I like the color of my hair. I think I had $20, and I was so excited about it. I've got a friend who loves me. I've got a house. I've got a car. And I was speaking about this stupid Monte Carlo. And um, I didn't think anything of it. I remember going and recording it with Bob and his wife, Astrid, who's such a beautiful singer. It was much, much slower than the recorded version. But that's where the song started, um, with a haircut and with having 20 bucks in my pocket. But I would never have dared dream where this song has gotten to in my career. Um, never in a million years. It's it's one of those things that has a life of its own. Um, I YouTubed it once, and it was uh, I don't thousands of people have recorded the song, like just kids at home, just singing it at the top of their lungs, and it really has been heartwarming to see people in the Philippines or in Taiwan or in Japan or in Australia or somewhere in the Middle East singing "Good Mother," and it it is something that is just blown my my mind well you've done you know i mean two things i want to say you've you've done an amazing first of all your voice is absolutely incredible uh singing that being able to sing that at 7 30 in the morning with me just kind of surprising you out of the blue of it it just <laughs> was amazing it was so beautifully sung and i liked it slowed down I, I loved kind of the speed at which she sang it too and then that plus the the meaning behind it i didn't know that that's what you did i didn't know that you'd use eyeliner to write your lyrics i didn't have a pen it's, it's i was thinking what can i write these words down with i still have that de Maurier cigarette package flattened out in a trunk at the foot of my bed I still have it, and I, I hope it ends up somewhere because I think it would be cool. I, I've always thought of getting it framed, and maybe I should, but um, I've got song lyrics everywhere. They're scattered all over the place. One of these days I need to actually sit down and gather them all up and put them in one spot, but I'm forever writing things down or getting ideas or stealing things that I overhear in a, in a bathroom um, <laughs> but I, 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 like I just that. don't understand it. And I want people to know too, that I don't read music. I don't, I have no, I don't read music or I don't know how to, to transcribe it or anything like that. I don't even know what the chords are called on guitar or piano. I just, I've always played by ear. So if you're out there thinking that you need to do that, you probably don't, you know, well, that's just it. I mean, you're, you're talented beyond belief, but the words that you wrote have had 
it, it's not that the song the, the song has had impact, but the meaning behind the song has had even more impact on people's lives, Jan. I mean, I listen to that song and I think about my mother and I think everybody does. I think we all think about kind of the things in life that we can be grateful for that don't have to be big, major things. No. They're, they're the people in our lives. They're the small accomplishments. They're the little things, you know, like this is this is what that song is all about. And it's 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 a it's a joyful song in its own right because of that it it reflects on gratitude and gratitude is something we don't have enough of in this world well I think too I I didn't think too hard and long about writing those words down and I and it was a real lesson to me early on I mean the song is 25 years old now um wow but I I don't I know it's hard it really it's hard for me even to say that that I've been doing this for such a long time. I've been writing songs for over 45 years. And I started at 10 or 11, 12 years old. And I've never looked back. So it's funny too, you know, when you talk about dreaming bigger. I wasn't a dreamer. I didn't think someone like me, from who looked like me, who came from Springbank, Alberta, could ever aspire to go into music. And I will say this about the universe. It's, just, it's an odd thing. Music dragged me forward every single time. Every single time I tried to get out of it or do something else or, you know, reconsider or, you know, when I just thought, this is, this is insane, I have to do something else, I'm never going to get anywhere. I would get away from it for two or three months and I would get dragged back into it. I, I just, it's been one of those things that has picked me up from every ditch I've ever stumbled into and plunked me back on the road. So life in and of itself is interesting. Sometimes you cannot escape your own destiny. And I don't think there was any question of what I was going to end up doing. Um, I wasn't particularly great at anything when I started. I really did just play and sing so much that it turned into something. My mom said, you were terrible. My God, I'd hear you singing down there. And I just thought, who stepped on the cat? And, you know, but I just got better. I emulated people and copied them. And, I mean, my fingers used to bleed from playing guitar so much. But it, it is, it's interesting how sometimes you just get picked and that's what you're going to do. And that's what happened to me. And I've never done anything else. That's what I've done with my life. My entire life has been spent around music. And music has led me to the TV show. Music has led me into writing books. Music has led me into every travel I've ever, every every step I've ever taken on the travel on traveling this globe has been because of music. So I'm very humbled by that, and I and I can close my eyes at night and know that, you know, it's been good. It's been a good life. I haven't. I mean, I stumble all the time and I still fail all the time, but I'm grateful to whatever force of nature that that was. And I don't understand it and I don't ever want to understand it. I don't want to unravel it. It's just been something that's been innately there in my heart. Well, you know, you make me, you really have made me think as you're saying all that, I'm, I was going through my head saying, well, when I say I wish I dreamt bigger, I don't want people to believe that I was sitting there thinking one day I was going to own you know, be in business. I, I had, there was nothing further from my mind. For me being, you know, dreaming big was having a home 
and having my family with me mm-hmm. and and having you know enough money to put food on the table and feeling like to me my my dreams were relegated to books so music for you books for me books yeah. are where i got lost where I, I i read about things that people were doing and and saying and and words were were what changed my whole view of what was possible so uh, books were my escape and so books became how I learned about things but I never in a million years for everybody out there listening to this I never in a million years saw myself being in business I did not I it was not what I thought I didn't see that for myself I didn't in any way lead myself there but I like you believe that everything every step we take takes us to what are what what we can be and sometimes it's conscious and sometimes it's unconscious and sometimes we find things that bring out our talents and sometimes we don't but if we're not open to them if we're not looking for them if we don't recognize doors opening that actually are doors that are the right doors for us if we're so shut off and not open-minded we don't ever become all we can be. My mom said to me one day, she goes, Jan, why not you? Why not you? And it really changed everything. What a perfect way to end this podcast. Why not you? To everybody out there listening, why not you? You can be anything you choose to be. Believe in yourself. um, Count on your friends. But at the end of the day, you have to count on yourself and you have to believe in who you are. And um, thanks for sharing that song, Jan. That was just absolutely beautiful. And I really appreciate you doing it. Anytime. Talk to your friends, everybody. Talk to your friends. La, 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 la.